This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. John Baldoni is an internationally recognized leadership educator, executive coach, and author of 14 books, including Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us, Lead with Purpose, Lead Your Boss, and The Leader's Pocket Guide. He's been named a top speaker and leadership guru by Inc.com, Trust Across America, and Global Gurus. In this episode, John and I talk about his latest, Grace, which focuses on how and why it's essential for leaders, for all of us, to pay serious attention to common courtesy, comity, civility, in building connections in all the different parts of our lives. We talk about how in today's toxic and too often vulgar public square, these old-fashioned values are needed now more than ever. John defines grace as a combination of generosity, respect, action, compassion, and energy. And he describes some inspiring examples of leaders who exemplify, who model these important qualities. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast. And if you do, I would so much appreciate it if you would please rate and review it on iTunes, on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast and your other podcasts. If you do this, other people are more likely to find it and to enjoy it too. So now, without further ado, get set to listen to and learn from leadership guru, John Baldoni. Welcome back to Work and Life. Thank you, Stu. Uh, always good to speak to you, and as you know, I'm a big fan of your work and proselytize when I can, so <laughs> it's an honor to, for me to be on the show oh. with you to talk about grace. Well, it's, it's great to have you here, John, um, and I, I'm really glad that you did this book uh, because grace is, as we both know and as so many of our listeners know, sorely lacking in our world today, and and your, your work I, I read as a kind of... Uh, attempt to bring a bit more of it back into our lives, not just at work, but in all the different parts of our life, uh, of our lives. So what, let me ask first, what inspired you? Well, actually, I got, like many of us, I kind of got fed up with the um, popularization of um, hate and bigotry and screed Mm. that passes for discourse. And, you know, so, uh, you know, the leading, uh, you know, spur-of-the-moment impulse would be join in and rabble-rouse. But I thought, no, nah, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> so I thought, I, I looked around and I thought, there is so much good stuff around us. And what do I mean by good stuff? People acting, as Lincoln would say, 
according to the better angels of their nature. And that's where grace comes in. Uh, grace, often we associate it uh, from a faith-based tradition. Mm-hmm. It's actually inherent in many faiths, mm-hmm. uh, if not all. But it's if you think of it from a biologic standpoint, we're probably wired from it. You know, all of us, there's a popular notion called the altruism gene, which predisposes us to care for others. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where grace comes in. And so I'm, <clears throat> my book is, I hope, a celebration as well as a little part manual for how we can act upon grace to make our part of the world just a little bit better. And that's that's all we can do, isn't it, uh, is, is to try to have a positive impact on the world around us. That is an uh, essential aspect of what leadership means. How do you define grace? Grace, for me, is the catalyst for the greater good. What I mean by mm-hmm. that is reaching out and thinking about the connectedness, how we interact with one another, the spaces between us, in a way, reducing the spaces. In the book, I profile a, a gentleman, uh, Father Greg Boyle, who is the founder of um, Homeboy Industries, the largest gang intervention program in Los Angeles. And in his second book, Barking to the Choir, he raises a notion called radical kinship, which really comes down to being there for others. Hmm. And Father Boyle, or Father G, as he's often called, is an activist in reaching out. But you don't have to, what you need to do to act with grace is to be there for someone else. Hmm. Um, And we sense that in, you know, with our colleagues, our friends, you know, they may be going through a crisis or a challenging time, simply being there with them, having a conversation or sitting down with them, and see what happens. That's that form of radical kinship. And it's also reaching out to people you don't know. Um, you know, I, I, have a, uh, I play piano at our local hospitals here in my area, is Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I, in being in a healthcare environment, uh, I see moments of grace every day, I see, or every day I play. And what I mean by that is I see staff treating patients with an open-heartedness. I see I see um, uh, um, relatives of patients, mm-hmm. you know, caring for others. There's an aura of kindness. And people of grace, we know them, Stu. They're, they're very centered. And by centered, they know their strengths, they know their weaknesses, and they have an aura about them that draws people to them. Uh, but it's a, quality, them it's a quality, but, of course, that, that anyone can uh, can tap into because, as you say, we are... We are wired to to be altruistic and to to fill the world around us with grace, right? It's not- Absolutely, I think we are. But you know, I think in getting back to the tenor of our times, yeah, the 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 noise around us um, pushes us to the dark side, pushes us to the negative. And Stu, as you know far better than I do, negativity is an energy suck. I mean, it just takes it out of you. And so I'm not saying be dismissive of that. All of the good leaders, as you well know, are hyper aware of what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. But they choose to and to look on the brighter side uh, purposefully. And maybe that's where grace comes into, again, the better angels of our nature. So we're going to get into uh, the different elements of grace that you have uh, so well elaborated on with the wonderful examples in your book. Um, But before we get to that, I'd I'd like you to say a little bit more about why it is so difficult for people to act with grace. What inhibits that? 
that um, that aspect of our humanity? I think because they don't see it at, <clears throat> excuse me, superficially they don't see it around them. It's not reflected on our media, per, per se, or our anti-social media, per se. We're programmed to react. And, but also, I think, in a, in a more, in a, in a different sense, it's, um, it's parenting. It goes back to, um, we've lost a lead sense of courtesy, comity, Civility. Those things were instilled in my grandparents' generation and my parents, and I think certainly they taught me well. Um, and but when we see this coarsening of public discord, we can tend, you know, we push away things. Um, you, you know, there's a, a new book out by Arthur Brooks. He talks about, um, uh, in a way, grace, but he uses a word. When we disassociate ourselves from others, there's a word that comes up, and that's called contempt. And it's not that I just disagree with you, Stu. Because I disagree with you, I am contemptuous of you. And that's where hatred, and that's where bias, and that's where bigotry resides. And tyranny. And tyranny. Uh, There's a wonderful book that I'll commend to you that I think I've mentioned on the show once or twice uh, by the great historian, uh, the Yale historian, Timothy Snyder. Uh, that he published a couple of years ago. This is someone who has studied the uh, rise and fall of tyrannical regimes uh, in the last century, and he's got this delightful book that I carry around with me. It's uh, it's about 20 things you can do to fight tyranny, and one of them is to simply connect with other people. Bingo. And, uh-huh. and just to make human-to-human contact. So what I try to do on a daily basis in my walks with, with one of my kids around the neighborhood we initiate uh, eye contact and say hello to everybody that we encounter, and uh, it makes a difference. In fact, there are more and more people now who uh, initiate that conversation with us, and they say hi to us because we've been making that a kind of a norm in our neighborhood. But that's uh, perhaps a, a side note digression. Uh, but I think the, the, the point, though, about how important it is to, to fight contempt uh, in our society wherever we can by expressing that kind of uh, radical kinship, as, as, you, as you refer to. Right. And you know the byproduct of what you're doing, of reaching out, making eye contact, exchanging voice. You know what? You feel good about doing it. It's an energizer. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a positive mm-hmm. thing. But it, it makes it be, you know, looking for a smile, you know, mm-hmm. smiling at other people. Yes. Um, it, it, it's such a simple thing, but it's so simple, we forget it. We do forget it, and it's easy to forget, isn't it? Absolutely it is. Because and, you were, you're attributing you know, the, the causes both to media, to, the, to certain kinds of parenting, I guess, that don't emphasize enough courtesy, comity, and civility? I, I think so. I, I mean, you know, uh, and I, you know, I'm not throwing up. <laughs> that, that's a pretty broad statement, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's because um, people are pushed and pulled in different directions. We've lost what we call the good old-fashioned manners. You know, it's interesting. I, there's a, a local business around the corner from me that I've watched transform into a kind of hole-in-the-wall business into a very inviting and embracing place. And I've talked to the proprietor of it, mm-hmm. and I said, what's your secret? And he looked at me, he said, I'm just doing what our grandparents taught us, which is the golden rule. And there's a lot in that. He treat, you treat your employees right, mm-hmm. they treat your customers right. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Not that complicated. Nope. 
it's it's not. And that's where grace comes in. And you know, there are challenges to this. And you know, so much of I've known, part of grace is overlooking things. And you know this too. If you get and I'm, <laughs> I I put myself as example A. If I somebody makes an untoward comment toward myself, or mm-hmm. if I feel they're being disrespectful mm-hmm. of something, I, I'll get my back up. Okay. I mean, for but really, take a breath forget about it. Move on. Mm. You know, the good leaders in our lives, and, we, and when I say good leaders, I don't just mean people everyone knows, but our community leaders, our coaches, our pastors, our local politicians, whoever it is we look at as in leadership positions, those are people who rise above it. They say, don't pay attention to the noise, focus on the big picture. And that takes grace, and that's something all of us can do. So, John, tell us about... How you have uh, how you have created this this delightful acronym and what it means in terms of each of the different elements of grace that all of us can can develop and practice further. Sure, uh, grace is um, taking each letter of the word a G for generosity, and let me top line it, and then I'll walk them back. Okay, G is generosity. R is respect, the dignity of life and work. Act, a is for action, acting upon it. C is compassion and concern for others, and E is energy, that spirit that pushes us forward. And when you think about that, so generosity, as you know, um, generosity for a leader is generative. It comes down to not only being open-minded, but also being sharing authority. You know, there's a famous saying from uh, Admiral Stockwell, who was spent uh, more years in uh, Hanoi Hilton than I think anyone else. And, and, talked and about Hanoi Hilton, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, prison where um, American soldiers were kept during the Vietnam War. That is correct. And so when he came back, he wrote a, um, a studied at uh, Stanford and studied Stoic philosophy. But anyway, he talked about... The leaders who gain power are those who share it, who, who give it away. And what he meant by that is it's kind of think about empowerment. I'm being generous, and then you in turn um, use that power for your team, whatever, to help us achieve our mission. Respect is that sense of looking at an individual as a person, as a contributor, as a human being. And it's from an employee standpoint, it's that sense of, I'm going to look on the good side of you. Let's say Stu and I, have, you and I have just met, uh, even though we've known each other for 20-plus years, mm-hmm. but, and for this conversation. And rather than looking at, yeah, I know that uh, Stu guy, you know, he, he's got an edge to him, and, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look at Stu as a contributor. Come on, my team, and let's work together. And until you prove me wrong... I'm going to think positively to you. And that's a real simple step. But how often, Stu, do we jump to that negative? Uh, I've heard that about Sally, or mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure about John. Those kinds of things. Uh, the respect is looking at the dignity, the, the positive sides of others. Action uh, is that um, power to mobilize. And leaders are going to do anything. They need to get bring people together for common cause. Action, you know, it's action. It's the power to do good. The po- in a graceful sense, it's the power to um, uh, right wrongs or make positive things happen. Compassion is concern. It's care. It's the Latinate comes from with passion. Mm-hmm. So I feel for others. Um, I, I and I, as such, I respect them. But I want to do something for them. And so in a workplace, it means that a leader 
looks at people on his team as whole people. They are contributors, but also they're people with an outside life. I need to get to know them so that I can be respectful of who they are, what their time commitments are, what I can ask them to do, how I can draw the best out of them, and how I can be for them if they need some support, in either in the workplace or out of the workplace. And finally, energy is that spirit. If leaders are going to act, they're going to need to be energized. They're going to need to keep themselves fit and be able to work. And also their challenge is to, if you're going to mobilize, as you do with action, you need to, uh, to energize uh, the organization. You have to be your own catalyst to make good things happen. So generosity, respect, action, compassion, energy, these are, uh, these are concepts, attributes of who we are as leaders, not only at work, I would suggest, but in, in all parts of life. Let's dig into each one of these in turn. Um, generosity of spirit, what's, what's one of the most compelling ways that you've seen that expressed uh, in ways that have inspired you? and that you think might inspire our listeners to be uh, more mindful of what it is for them to act with generosity? I think it's, a, it's looking at life as abundance, something to share rather than to hoard. And um, I got this quote from your colleague Adam Grant in his book or his audio book about power, and he talked about Nixon being one, he was quoting David Gergen about Mm -hmm. hoarding power, Mm -hmm. something that Nixon did, whereas other leaders um, that we know of share power, as I was telling about Admiral Stockwell, because when you share power, you give them ownership of their destiny, or at least within the workforce, and they feel more motivated to do that. Well, that takes generosity, so it's an open-hearted spirit, if you will, so... And for for people who are feeling oppressed, uh, who are under the great strain of life, uh, for any kinds of any any number of different kinds of reasons, uh, a physical or psychological health problem that they or one of their loved ones is experiencing, um, you know, uh, they're they're stuck in in, in poverty. Uh, or in a career track that they can't get out of but is in some ways dehumanizing. You know, the, the kinds of circumstances that, that just make it hard to think of anyone but yourself struggling every day to, to be free. Where have you found in your research on this topic the, the, the wellspring to tap into that, you know, to dig underneath those those layers of pain to find the generous spirit and express it? It's a good, it's a good powerful question. I, I think I will cite the example of um, the widow, uh, well, actually a twofold example okay. of Brent, Brent Taylor, um, who some of the listeners may know. He was the mayor of um, North Ogden, Utah. He was also a um, active uh, excuse me, on uh, active Army Reserve and was called into Afghanistan. He didn't really have to go there, but he did because he thought that he had something else to give, at least one more time. Sadly, he was killed in Afghanistan and left behind a wife, a young wife, and seven children. And when his body came back to Dover Air Force, she um, was there um, to receive the, the coffin. 
and she spoke very eloquently about her her husband. And then a, a month later, she was interviewed on CNN, and she talked about, in a sense, grace and the will to go on and the example of her husband and his generosity. And, I mean, you think of this woman who lost her soulmate, mm-hmm. but she had so much within her to give back. And uh, also, as, as I, I do cite her in the book, but also that we talked about, we all remember the um, um, the <clears throat> cruel murder at, Afri- um, excuse me, American Emanuel Church in Charlotte. And uh, President Obama went down there and uh, saying amazing grace. But we talked about mm-hmm. the spirit of forgiveness that these, um, that the parishioners had suffered from this um, ruthless racist who had upset their lives. And they, rather than focus on the bitterness, they focused on grace. I don't know that I would have that type. And we see it again and again, people who are faced with adversity or with nothing. When you were talking about circumstance, often, um, this is something that Father Boyle talks about. He's the uh, pastor, or excuse me, the Jesuit priest of Homeboy Industries. Mm-hmm. People with less will often share more. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> when, mm-hmm. when you're rich, you kind of sometimes there's a mindset, oh, I'm going to hoard it. But sometimes people, the most generous people, are those who have very little. You know, and uh, it, it's it it, it it takes your breath away to see that um, people with no food will share what little they have mm-hmm. with a stranger. I mean, that's grace. I mean, my goodness, where does that come from? Well, that's my question. Yeah. How do you how do you access that if you're if you're not thinking about this uh, if you don't go to church or if you're if yeah. you're just you know trying to deal with the you know the hustle and bustle of everyday life and all the various pressures. Uh, upon you, what have you what have you found that helps people to to tap into that source I, of I, humanity? I, I will speak for myself and what I mm-hmm. my take on it. What it comes from is example. I see it; it impresses me, and I will do it in turn. Just like the story that you told about you and your children walking the neighborhood and greeting people, and now they do it in return to you. So that's the kind of, that is what motivates it. Some people would attribute it to faith, and to obviously, and that's a mm-hmm. nurturing thing for them. But for those not ad- adherent to a faith, it comes from example. It comes from seeing good and then deciding to act upon good. Mm-hmm. So the more of us that are striving to enact this quality of generosity, the more likely it is that others will as well, by that theory. I be- yeah, and then if you think about it, tying it back to generosity, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of contagion. You know, generosity begets generosity. Power sharing begets power sharing. Mm-hmm. But it does take effort. All of the, you know, grace we thought can be perceived as an ethereal concept, but what I a want... A what concept? Sorry? Ethereal. Uh-huh. You, know, okay. uh, you know, something that's just out there. It's an, an item. And, and the reason I chose this acronym, and I get back to action, is because in a, from a leadership paradigm, it takes work. It takes effort. While grace um, may come to us unearned, we in turn pass it on to others. But that passing on is an action that we uh, take, that is something we say, I will do this because I can. Yes, and it is, as you point out, 
uh, generosity, a quality that is available to anyone to express. Anyone who has the will, who has the motivation, who has perhaps seen examples of it in their own lives or perhaps the counterexample, which has made them motivated to try to undo uh, the, the, the bad things that they've seen as a result of people acting not from a, a spirit of generosity, but rather from uh, a spirit of selfishness and, and hate. Right. Without question. And, and perhaps that's, that's, uh, that speaks to the current moment in terms of why uh, your book and, and other people writing about this or speaking about it or trying to bring a greater sense of humanity and connection into the world is because we're seeing it dissipate in our world. I think we are, but but the good part about that, mm-hmm. Stu, is it's always been there and it always will be there. But getting back to what you said, we just had to work at it a little bit harder to bring it to life right now because the public discourse is against it. Although, you know, there's a, a recent Pew study that talked about taxi- toxicity in the workplace, but also mm-hmm. um, vulgarity um, uh, was another study. And people are getting sick of it. And so what's mm-hmm. the alternative? Well, uh, even be more toxic or more vulgar. But really they're saying, no, <laughs> enough's enough. Let's get back to civility. Let's get back to comedy. And, you know, part of that stuff goes back to <clears throat> a lot of people like to talk about the founding fathers. And uh, I cite in, in the book uh, the example of uh, George Washington, who as a young man um, wrote out the 110 rules of civility which covered everything from table manners to how to uh, act and how to act <laughs> in front of a fireplace. Uh, some of those are a little dated, I would say, but it also talked about how to look at people, um, how to treat them with respect. And um, I wouldn't hurt a lot of us to review those rules because there's something I printed a half a dozen of them in my book, and uh, because it's there among us, and um, it's easy to be uncivil, but it takes mm-hmm. effort to be civil. Can you share with us some of the, uh, well, the, 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 the stories that you tell in the book that are particularly inspiring to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the one is, um, there are so many that pop out, but I'll just, a couple. Uh, one is uh, Fred Rogers, uh, Mr. Rogers. Um, as many people may know, he was an ordained minister, but his ministry was television, um, Specifically, he spoke to preschool children, uh, pre-kindergarten, as well as, you know, young, young children who had started school. And he talked about tough issues at the time, but, uh, you know, I mean, he was on for so long, I mean, from the, uh, the mid-60s till well into the 90s, and he covered issues of divorce or adoption, things that might, you know, would affect a child's life. Never spoke Death, down to sexual orientation. Yeah, sexual all. orientation. All of those things, and in a way that, you know, made it accessible for children and understanding. I think one of the stories that pops out for me, and I quoted it, is that there was a man, a young man, he had had on his program who had cerebral palsy. And he later told an interviewer, so, well, I asked uh, that man uh, to pray for me. And the interviewer said, well, yeah, I said, well, you were just trying to make him feel good um, by saying that, weren't you? And he goes, oh, no. He said, a boy like that, a man like that is close to God. 
so I want him on my side. <laughs> in other words, I mean, such a deep respect for other human beings. And that He was a man certainly of grace. And interesting, you know, we think of him as a, you know, a soft-hearted person, which he certainly was, but he was also a fierce, fierce advocate for children's television. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he testified in front of Congress, it was his testimony that really swung yes. the debate. And so, both of those episodes are in the wonderful documentary about his life that came out are. a couple of years ago, yeah. which is called, what, remind me? Um, I, I'm sorry, drop, it's off my mind. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, well, I'll get that back yeah. <laughs> uh, before we're done. I'll, I'll, I'll let it be. So, well, me too. Uh, yeah. I just saw it last year, and it's yeah. uh, it's a wonderful and indeed a very inspiring story. Um, other examples that you got, particularly about how grace in the workplace spills over into one's personal life, you know, either at home or in one's own, just within one's own skin, uh, or in the community, and how those different parts of life affect each other with respect to the expression of grace in the different parts. One story which is very topical right now, mm-hmm. uh, and has been, is the story of John Feal, uh, F-E-A-L, and he started the Feel Good Foundation. And you know him now because he is the man who sits adjacent to John Stewart when his most recent testimony in front of the Senate. He's a pretty muscular guy, wore a baseball cap, and you know got um, some impressive tattoos on his arm. Uh, John was working on the pile in 9/11. He's an excavation contractor, and a three-ton beam fell on him, and he was pretty badly hurt. And but he came to an understanding, and he said, "You know, I can sit around and mope." Or I can do something. And, and here's a man with, you know, not, I mean, he's a, a excavation contractor, which is good, honorable work, but, you know, he didn't uh, go to business school. Uh, he didn't, uh, uh, but he said, I'm going to make a positive difference. And he started this foundation, and John Stewart found him along with others. And so he's been advocating for those with um, health uh, disorders, or, excuse me, mm-hmm. health uh, ailments as a result of working on the pile mm-hmm. uh, for. Gosh, ever since it started, you know, and he's, you know, a man of example and uh, uh, that I respect. And there's a guy who took a challenging circumstance, what we had talked about before, mm-hmm. and turned that around into his mobilizing for action. And you know? how did that influence, say, his uh, his life beyond his his public life? Um, I can't. I don't know him well enough to say that. Mm-hmm. I think he's very direct in what. I mean, I'm sorry. He's very focused on what he does, um, and it it is his life. So. Hmm. Well, you can you can speculate perhaps from the other stories that you have uh, pulled together in your book, Grace, about how the expression of that quality through your public life or your work life influences who you are and how you show up in your family or in your more intimate you know moments your intimate circles absolutely and the great when you mentioned family I, I smiled because I thought of a man that I profiled in this book and that's um, uh, Gordie Howe perhaps the greatest hockey player of his generation a fiercely proud and a fiercely competitive man who um, uh, on the ice but often was the, you know the softest of soft touches but also a good human man 
And uh, Wayne Gretzky, equally a great hockey player, once said, and who knew Gordy very well from his own childhood, and in fact adopted his number. Uh, Gordy's number was nine, and Gretzky's was 99 mm-hmm. in honor of Gordy. But he said in his eulogy, he said, as great a hockey player as uh, Gordy was, he was a better man. And in his eulogy, I mean, thousands of people came to his uh, funeral, but and a lot of them just were fans. He was buried in the city of Detroit, or excuse me, the service was in the city of Detroit where he played. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Gordy was this down-to-earth person, and the story I, that resonates with me and with you, because you and I are on the speaker circuit, uh, Gordy would often be uh, on the rubber chicken circuit, you know, um, you know, telling stories about hockey and all that kind of stuff, and he would often arrive at wherever he was, some banquet hall, he'd get there early and uh people would be setting up so who would they see helping him set up gordy howe you know hmm. so you know and that's a pretty man who knows himself you know and he raised his four sons to not think of themselves as royalty and he they all had chores and they all uh, said yes ma'am and no ma'am and those kinds of things and um it, you know that's a good father and a generous person and um so i think of, of that also in my book so I part of his legacy there if i can just uh, underscore that point and then i do want to hear your the other story you were just about to bring up um part of his legacy is not just uh you know his his exploits on the ice uh, and with his team, but but what he left behind in terms of the the model that he set for his children and the other people that he touched in other parts of his life, without question, you know. And um, I, I think, and uh, he, you know, he was a, the father figure and that they looked up to, and he was um, just a good all around person. And the kids learned from that, and, and the community benefited from that. So it would so, be good, wouldn't it, if uh, if more athletes uh, and others in the public eye, celebrity, were, you know, if we heard more stories like Wayne's uh, story about Gordy, uh, not at his funeral, but throughout his life. Well, in, in, and that's kind of what you're trying to do here. Yeah. It's true, and so um, I mean, uh, but I'll give you a real life example happening right now, and that's uh-huh. uh, LeBron James. Um, what he, and I write about it in the book, mm-hmm. and I talk about his the what he's committed to the Akron school system um, and a public school, um, and it's a, 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 a I promise, and it's a, a way of taking kids from a disadvantaged background and giving them advantages, and it's not throwing money at the situation, although there are adequate resources certainly, Mm -hmm. but it's community involvement. If your child goes there, you are expected to volunteer. And also, you just don't have need not just have a child there, but also give there. And and, um, LeBron talks about, as a child, he grew up in very dire circumstances, never knew his father, and his mother was not always reliable. And one of the things he loved the most was a bicycle, and it was, those were hard to come by. So every kid that goes to this school gets, gets a bicycle, you know, those kinds of things. But it's looking at the whole person. It's a generosity thing, and um, it's, it's looking at, as you would say, the total leadership, mm-hmm. and it involves the community, uh, both public and private, uh, at trying to make a better positive difference in a school in a disadvantaged neighborhood in Akron, Ohio. Now, I want to ask you, uh, at, the, at the end of your book, you've got this very helpful 
guide to a better us, um, which begins with focus on better. Tell us about that and how people can use it. Focus on better. It comes out. Um, I wrote a column uh, for Forbes on this, and it was about New Year's resolutions. And as you well know, uh, the thing about uh, the most popular, excuse me, the most common factor of New Year's resolutions is that they are broken. It's just a matter of when. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be January 2nd or is it going to be January 31st? So better to think about better. In other words, I'm going to um, I'm just going to do things better. You can quantify it if you want, or you can simply say, I will resolve to do something better. I will, re- I will resolve to be more kind. And as you think of it, kind of, uh, this is one of the things, while I believe in my coaching practice, that things only are acted upon when they're specific, specific, specific tasks. Mm-hmm. But focusing on better is more holistic. I'm going to do better for me or for others. And it's a more holistic way of looking at it, um, tying into your work with the total leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's looking at how can I be better in each of the domains of my life. But at the same time, don't um, over-quantify it so that if you do it so in a form of, I will resolve to do X, Y, Z, you may not do them. So that's the thinking behind better. Better is good, as our former president, uh, Obama, used to say. And indeed it is. <laughs> because, uh, you know, a number of his staff wanted to do more than just better. And he said, no, nah, better is good. Right. And, you <laughs> it's know, to be celebrated. There's great truth in that because if you strive too hard and you fail, you may turn off and not go back to it. It's, it's like if you're going to, um, you know, climb a mountain, let's try some trekking in a hill first, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Don't pick a goal which is so unattainable that it's failure to achieve it will turn you off from any kind of self-improvement. And that's kind of what gets to the root of better. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You were about to say more about no, that. No, that's all I was going to say, that, that you know, if you're over-metricized something and you fail, um, you may turn yourself off, and, and that's not what it's all about. And, and, no, and the other thing about focusing on better <clears throat> is understanding yourself as an imperfect being. You may resolve to do better, but you're going to screw up, at least if you're like me, you're going to screw up. Well, it's not the end. Just resolve to do better the next time. That's an aspect of compassion that I I wanted to just spend a moment on. Last year, I asked all my guests uh, a question, uh, and it was – it's a different question than I'm going to ask you in a few moments, John. Uh, And and that is um, how do you express compassion in in your working life? And I heard a variety of different answers. But one of the important themes in the responses to the, I don't know, 40 or so people who I spoke to last year – on this show was the notion that compassion starts with yourself. What what do you make of that, and how does that fit with your model? It does very much, and it gets to a concept that I talked about for one of the gentlemen that I interviewed for the book. His name is Chris Lowney, who was a former Jesuit priest. 
Um, now you heard me mention the Jesuits twice, though. <laughs> but they, they, I was pretty ingrained with their education. But Chris is a um, um, very successful uh, business person. He left the Jesuit order, uh, but he's a very spiritual person. And he talked, did an essay for a, a little book he wrote called about gratitude. And he used the line, "Gratitude is contagious. Um, is like cholera. It's contagious." And so thinking about that, if you're going to deliver on gratitude, we think of it as an outward behavior, which it certainly is. I'm, you give me a gift or you do me a good turn, Stu, and I say thank you. And then, and then if it's an important thing, I'll share the benefits with you. Thank you, Stu, for making that introduction to XYZ. Mm-hmm. That really helped me, and I loop you in there. And that's me expressing my attitude for that. But... I really can't deliver gratitude unless I have a sense of self and that I can be gracious with myself, that I can have Mm -hmm. compassion for my failings, and that I can have a a self-understanding, a self-awareness of my strengths as well as my shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And I think we kind of overlook the inward part of it. It Mm. makes us a whole person. But some of us... um, through circumstance, we're kind of living half-lives in a way because we have some damage within us, and I think all of us do. Everybody it, no does. How we deal with it. Sorry. Everybody does. Yes. They're just agreeing does. with you. And that's, that's why uh, a number of people who I've spoken to on the show and people that I read and that I'm sure you're aware of, too, f- focus on the importance of expressing gratitude on a regular basis in order to... Um, in enhance one, your own capacity to be generous with others. Right, and it becomes a, a nourishing thing, especially when you are great, gratitude. It's a form of that is gracious. Just be a gracious person, um, as, as you do, you know, telling me about the walks. And, you know, I mean, that's hmm. a form of graciousness, um, being, you know, making eye contact and doing that. But when people tell you, um, you know, you do a, a good turn and they thank you for it and you see the results of that, Feel good about that. Celebrate that. Mm-hmm. And then in turn, you can kind of look back and it, think of it as an accomplishment. And it's not that you're patting yourself on the back. It's what you're really doing is you're energizing yourself. I see the goodness of my action. Yeah, I did that. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And ideally, I'll turn around and do it again. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's those are... Those are inspiring words for us to be preaching, and yet I know that so many people listening are thinking, yeah, if I act that way, though, people are going to step on me, or they're going to hurt me, or they're going to be push, pushing me out of the way so that they can get ahead at my expense. How, how do you address that, if at all, in, in your work, John? Well... Understand that if yes, if you are a gracious person, a whole person, someone who reaches out and is kind to others, will people take advantage of you? Yes, they will. Um, my question to you is: if you're continually facing that in your workplace, maybe that's not the right workplace for you. Okay, maybe you would be more fulfilled someplace else. Mm-hmm. That's easy to say. Or family, for that matter. Yes, because if you're internalizing, and, and sadly, you know this well, if I'm being mistreated at work, I'm gonna, uh, there will be a predisposition to act upon my stress when I go home with my spouse mm-hmm. or with my friends or my children. No, I was, I was, that's true, but I was also speaking about how 
even in our families, we can be mistreated and oppressed, and sometimes that implies that you must depart from that environment. Yep, certainly, you know, um, without question. And and that erodes, what what it gets down to is this erosion of self-esteem. Mm-hmm. We almost, we almost, almost exert our sense of self-esteem. And those who are gracious and kind um, are not lacking in self-esteem. They are, you know, and another, Matt, in a second, if you look at their acts of kindness, what they're really doing is saying, hey, <clears throat> I have this energy within me, and I'm sharing it with others. So mm-hmm. in a sense, uh, um, that's a very outward activity. So what do you do if you're in this challenging circumstance? Uh, I try to be, be the role model that you can be. And don't focus on the slights. Focus on the positive. And don't uh, whine. Don't <laughs> that's another. I'm reading that from your book here. I, I, I didn't make that up. Yeah, no, it's true, and it's it, it's so. When you whine again, it's this energy suck, you know, and mm-hmm. and um, people don't have time for it, um, and you know, and um, and you, you diminish your own personhood when you do that. So. Now, you have a very helpful uh, set of assessment tools uh, in your book. Can you give us just uh, thirty seconds on how how the graceful self assessment works and how how people can use it? I've got a lot of questions at the end of each chapter, but the, the assessment is to kind of, how am I doing in the world of grace? Mm-hmm. Do I have grace, and how can I do it better? And I bifurcated the, um, the assessment into two parts. It's assessing myself in a, from, through the prism of grace as a person, and then assessing myself in the moments of grace as a leader. So, um, you know, being explicit in that and examining what these questions are, just 10 questions each, it's how you can um, assess what you're doing. And, you know, if you want to give yourself 100 on all of it, go ahead. You know, but it's how am I doing? It's basically your self-reflection. How am I doing? Mm -hmm. And you can do it on a regular basis to say, am I pointed in the right path? And you might say, yesterday I was, um, I did something for the greater good, but, you know, today I really felt short. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow I'm going to act on the greater good. Or one concept we haven't talked about, which is directly related to grace, and it's bifold, it's forgiveness and mercy. Those who let go of their pain inflicted to them are those who forgive. And they are uh, people who show mercy. And those are two things that we don't celebrate enough in our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Whole, full you know, full-centered people are those who have the capacity to forgive, and they have the capacity to show mercy. So. Yes, indeed, and that's perhaps what uh, Fred Rogers was expressing throughout his life and career. And the documentary, by the way, I promised you I'd tell you that, it's Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, which uh, John and I are both recommending you, dear listener, uh, check out and, uh, and view. Let me ask, what's, what's your greatest hope uh, in terms of what, what impact you're trying to have with this book? I want something that you said. I want people to realize that grace is inherent within them, and they can give it back to make a positive difference in their own life and in the lives of those they love and the lives that those they lead. And the question I've been asking everybody this year that I'll now ask you, John, is about accountability. I'm hoping this is going to be a year of accountability. How do you hold yourself accountable for living according to the values that you espouse? 
I check myself regularly to, am I doing <clears throat> what I say I'm doing? Am I living grace? Am I being a patient person? Am I being a giving spouse? Am I being there for my friends? Am I being um, giving good value to my clients? Um, am I doing my best work when I write and I speak? Um, so I look at accountability in the multi-dimensions of my life. And I also, something getting back to you, Stu, I, I, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your skirt, your concept of total leadership, and it embraces the, the domains of life. Mm -hmm. So am I full in my work life? Am I living fully in my personal life? Am I living fully with my colleagues and friends? And am I doing something in my community? All mm -hmm. of those things, those are my self-checklists, if you will. So you ask yourself those questions. John, thank you so much for being on the program this evening. How can listeners find out more about your book and your other work? Well, uh, johnbaldoni.com has links to all my works. Uh, we even have a book, excuse me, a website for Grace, gracethebook.com. And it's available in wherever books are sold, including online uh, with Amazon and Barnes and Noble. John Baldoni, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Stu. I hope you found my conversation with John Baldoni to be informative, perhaps inspiring, and that it might have given you some ideas about how you can step back for a minute, take a deep breath, look at the big picture, let some things go, and consider ways in which you might try to bring just a bit more grace into your everyday interactions. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Try doing one small thing that actually does indeed bring a bit more grace into your world today. Perhaps by simply initiating a connection with someone else. Can you make eye contact with someone or some others? Smile a bit more. Yeah, just smile or even say hello. What happens when you deliberately, intentionally, mindfully reach out to demonstrate grace? Let me know what you discover if you try this. I would love to hear from you so you can just get in touch with me directly at friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, Check out our website, TotalLeadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership. Be a better leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, 
please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.